This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews, and as always, I'm joined on the other line by Johnny Rath. How's it going, Johnny? Oh, round 23 in the books, Dan. Um, finals, here we come. It's an interesting mix of teams in this year's finals, and uh, it's not going to quite be the same as it usually is, but I, I still think there'll be some exciting games. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard a lot of people talking up the prospects in this final series, and you never know quite what's going to make a good finals game, but uh, I think we could get some really good ones, some really memorable ones. And uh, yeah, I think there's four new teams in this year, which is very rare. Normally it's maximum sort of two teams from the previous year that are new. So who would the new teams be? That would be uh, Melbourne, GWS missed last year, I'm pretty sure, Essendon and Sydney. Yeah, Sydney, those, yeah. those four. Yeah. So plenty of change up the top. Always good to have a new mix. So in such a amazing round, what caught your eye? Yeah, there was a few things, uh, but I'm just going to go with an, a player, um, Marcus Adams. I think with uh, Harris Andrews out, uh, he got his chance. Um, 15 possessions, five marks, eight intercept possessions. He's a good sort of break-in case of emergency option for the Lions, but um, according to Footywire, he's actually also out of contract at the end of the year. So not sure what that situation is, but uh, we know the value of intercept defenders at the moment, Dan. I think... Uh, he could be hot property for a few clubs out there. He's getting up there in age, isn't he? Like, he's not really old, but he's definitely getting closer to 30. I'm not entirely sure. But. Uh, he's definitely on the experienced side. Uh, yeah. I believe he was in, uh, just thinking, I think he might have been in the 2014 draft or something like that. Um, yeah, yes. so. Yeah, what? Yeah, so it's about 28. Still plenty of time for another suitor to get involved there. He's been playing in teams with Harris Andrews as well, though, hasn't he? Like, yeah. It's, he doesn't go out of the team when no, Harris had, Andrews is there. He's had a few games, yeah, with him. Uh, yeah, so it's about, yeah, where they can get the mix right. But, um, yeah, he's definitely got a bit to offer. Yeah, I guess every team needs the interceptors nowadays. Need to be able to turn it around. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So I guess before we get into some of the stuff that we're going to talk about, Maybe we just need to reference what an amazing day Saturday was for so many different reasons, just one game after another. It was probably one of the more amazing days of football you can remember. Oh, yeah. No doubt about that. So starting with the draw between Hawthorne and Richmond, sending out a number of champions and not least Alistair Clarkson's last game in front of, uh, or for the Hawks, and uh, they were leading late into that last quarter, and I think they conceded the last five goals, and it was a diving Sean Burgoyne, almost touching it, but not quite getting there in his last and final game. So that was how it all started out, and that was amazing enough. I think that was their first draw in about 100 years, those two teams. And then we went up to the Gabba for Brisbane and West Coast, and there was uh, only 0.1% separating the, the Brisbane Lions and Western Bulldogs, so they needed to make up that gap, but... It equated to around about thirty to forty point uh, win if West Coast, uh, if uh, Brisbane were going to do it, and uh, the more West Coast scored, the harder it was getting, and they were actually scoring pretty well throughout the game. Yeah, I I did catch the first part of that fourth quarter, um, and then I went off to quickly do something else before the Melbourne John game started, um, but yeah, they got within about five points, and I just thought, oh, I don't. I think top four might be off the table for Brisbane. But um, then when I um got ready to see the start of our game, uh, they showed the, 
the winning, uh, I think it was the winning point that they got, and then, and then Cameron's goal and Fagan's reaction. And I thought, how did they do that? That was, <laughs> yeah, that must have just gotten on a, a real roll. Yeah, they came with a rush. I think they got the margin out to about 20 and it was getting pretty late So and they needed to get it out to, I think, just over 30. So yeah. they got a couple of goals late and then it was that single point that they needed and they'd missed a couple of chances before that, but McCarthy's shot just managed to scrape in for a point. So, uh, yeah, ecstasy uh, for the Lions supporters, agony for the dogs. I bet uh, uh, McStay was feeling a lot better after that, after his shot uh, didn't register a score. And there was all that controversy as well. The fact yes. that the clock didn't uh, count down when there was a stop play that went for about 30 seconds. So really, it should have never happened in, in one world. Can this happen in our game, Dan? Like, it, the clock timekeeping should be rigid as all hell, like a, like a basketball scorer, you know? I just don't know why. This has happened a couple of times now in the last, I'd say, five years. Yeah, I'm not sure why it keeps happening because the same mistake keeps being made over and over. I guess they don't see it as see it as enough of a problem to actually fix it, which is a bit of a problem is when it you the can signaling? get. Is there just a, like the umpire signaling isn't uh, no, read as a like, time on or yeah? I think like the signaling was right. I think it's more just timekeeper error. They're just missing um, the cues every now Are and they then. Too far away, maybe. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> not quite sure. <laughs> anyway. I'm sure a few dog supporters are ropeable because of that. But anyway, Brisbane get the job done and slot into fourth. And then it was all set up for a massive game down at Cadinia Park between Melbourne and Geelong. At that point, Port had actually gone to second. So the winner would go back to the top of the ladder and the loser would slide down to third and have to travel to Adelaide. So it was all on the table there. Yeah, there was a bit at stake. Um, and I think... For Melbourne, there was maybe just a little bit more at stake, being that you know we haven't won the minor premiership for so long. It it just seems like one of those hoodoos to break, and you know anything like that is always symbolic of growth with Melbourne, I guess. Uh, whereas Geelong have probably topped it a few times in the last 10, 20 years. But yeah, uh, it was all all at stake, and yeah, geez, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Yeah, absolutely. So. An eight-goal burst in the second by the Cats looked to have put the game to bed, but uh, Melbourne had other ideas, slamming on six goals to none in the last quarter, including an after-the-siren shot from Gorn to finally get Melbourne to the top of the ladder at the end of a season for the first time in 57 years. So we'll go into that game in a lot more detail in our Match of the Round recap uh, towards the end of the episode. But uh, yes, that ended the Super Saturday. So we had the crazy draw with all the retirements, we had uh, the live ladder in uh, West Coast uh, Brisbane getting a real workout. And that being live ladder was last... on for the whole fourth quarter, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> being Amazing. being uh, getting the result there in the last 20 seconds and the Melbourne Geelong game was decided after the siren as well. So pretty amazing set of games there. All right. So how did the ladder finish? So Melbourne did slot into first, as I said, and second ended up being Port. And uh, it was actually the last three goals that they kicked against the Western Bulldogs to get them over the line. That game was at Marvel. So Port really had the better of that game for most of it, but just couldn't put it on the scoreboard. And on the other hand, the Bulldogs were extremely accurate. So uh, big win there for Port. Massive win for Port. Uh, again, didn't 
really see it coming. I thought, especially in that first quarter, they were they were a bit shell shocked. I, I think they showed Ken Hinckley at one point in that first in the first quarter, and uh, he just looked like his hands were tied. Um, they were just you know they second out of the blocks pretty much. I was looking at the stats at three quarter time, and I, I think at that point they were down by about twenty points. But if you're just looking at the stats. They should have been winning by 20 points and they were down by 20 points. That's how bad their goal kicking had been to that point. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. They they definitely wrestled back, I think, the, the clearances uh, after that first quarter. Um, and, yeah, just it was a finishing issue. And, yeah, not often that uh, that would happen, I reckon. I think the, the straight kicker would usually come out on top, but not in this case. Yeah, so they made it count right at the end in the last five minutes with goals to... Boke, Wines, and finally Robbie Gray from the set shot as well to just edge the Bulldogs and uh, claim that home final, which gives them a great chance in this final series, obviously. So that was the top three. And as we referenced earlier, Brisbane did slot into first, uh, uh, sorry, into fourth, taking the Bulldogs spot by the narrowest of percentage margin. So after being in the top two for pretty much the whole year, the Western Bulldogs slide to fifth. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more, Johnny, in a second. Let's just round out the eight here. So it wasn't a lot of change or no change up after there. So mm. Sydney had a comfortable win over Gold Coast, made it look like a training drill. Happy to get Franklin another six goals yep. closer to the thousand. Yep. Uh, GWS had a decent win over Carlton. Plenty of scoring shots, probably should have won by more. Yep. And then... Essendon actually ended up not even needing to win their game against Collingwood, having with Freo having beaten up, uh, ha- having basically given up against St Kilda down in Tassie. So uh, they did end up accounting for the Pies, but they couldn't get any higher than eighth. So that was how it all finished. Yep, and I'm pretty sure you picked that three weeks ago. <laughs> Essendon GWS. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, thinking back to our ladder predictions a few weeks ago, I think, yeah, we got the bottom part of the ladder right with uh, Sydney Bulldogs, uh, so, sorry, Sydney, GWS and Essendon towards the bottom there, but I think the rest of the teams are all mixed up, so we didn't quite hit that part. <laughs> well, it was, yeah, the top four was always just going to be a musical chairs, I guess, but... Uh, yeah, it was, it was yeah. very close between all those teams, wasn't it? So from... Oh, yeah. From fourth down to six, every team was on 15 wins there. So uh, very close. And then you had, um, was it the Cats make it to 16 or 17 wins? I'm pretty sure 16. Uh, 16. Yep, 16, Port 17 and Melbourne 17 and a half. So quite tight towards the top there, as you'd expect. Yes. But I guess, yeah, the real story over the weekend, well, there's been plenty of stories, but one of the ones that's got the most airtime is the fact that the Western Bulldogs are no longer in the top four after spending most of the year in the top two. They've uh, relinquished that position. So the question I have for you, Johnny, is do they deserve their fate here? Do they deserve to be fifth, having dropped the last three? Yeah, look, this it's, it's heartbreaking for, for Bulldogs players and fans as well. Uh, because, yeah, you, you're up all year. That genuinely looked like the best team in the comp for a lot of the season. And uh, after they beat Melbourne a few weeks ago, it looked like I honestly would have had them for first spot. And, um, 
yeah, it, uh, you could say a few injuries got in there, uh, but they did sort of go away a little bit from what had gotten them in there this year. Uh, yeah, it's it's a tough one. I I don't I don't think they deserve to be to miss the top four. I think it might have been a bit harsh on them, but uh, at the same time, their form didn't really warrant being in the top four. I guess. I mean, look, you don't judge the top four teams on the last three games, but um, some of those defeats. I mean, yeah, it was a different team. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe this is a bit of a read on it, like. Would you, as a Melbourne supporter, would you prefer to be playing the Bulldogs this weekend or Brisbane? Uh, look, I think I would have preferred to play the Bulldogs, um, mainly because just the, the, you sort of we know what we're getting. I think now with the Bulldogs, I think after playing them twice, we know their recipe, I guess, so to speak. Whereas the Lions, I don't know, I, I can't quite get a decent read on them. I, I feel like that they're just a little bit harder to prepare for. I think uh, yeah. in ter- in terms of what we know. Yeah. Uh, but when the Bulldogs are up and running, they're probably harder to to yeah. face. Yeah, I think that's the key thing. They're not up and running anymore, are they? They've lost to Essendon, uh, Hawthorne, and now Port in the last three weeks. They've really lost their area of strength. Their midfield isn't getting the job done. They've got all sorts of problems in the ruck. So I think they're vulnerable. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if they got knocked out by Essendon this coming weekend. Yeah, look, I think they... <laughs> They should get that job done, but I wouldn't be surprised either. And uh, it it is a bit sad because, yeah, this is a really good lineup. I think they've got, the, you know, they've definitely got the deepest midfield in the comp. But uh, yeah, it's I don't know. It's really strange what's happened. I think, uh, yeah, Josh Bruce was a big loss. I think he definitely made the forward line sort of melt together. Um, English has really been struggling. I think. The, just taking all the ruck duties, uh, he's getting really. He, he's finding it tough against the sort of more mature ruckman. Uh, yeah, uh, look, I still give him a chance. I still think that they can possibly make some noise, but uh, yeah, it was a big blow. I guess it almost shows how fragile it, some of these top teams are in some ways. Like they look like you know they're kind of all conquering and can do anything, but if you actually take a couple of things away from them they really need, then they start to look pretty average. So, like, West, uh, the Bulldogs have been protecting their defence all year and now they're not getting the midfield dominance to actually protect the defence and now the forward line isn't really functioning without the tall target of Bruce and it's all just sort of fallen in a heap a little bit and they're not bringing the commitment to the contest. It's all just kind of fallen away yeah, one after another. I guess, you know, if you lose... Some of your key personnel, that definitely doesn't help. But, uh, yeah, that midfield was shielding their, I guess, um, I won't call it a shoestring backline, but like their their um, their workhorse backline, we'll call it. Um, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, you're right, exactly. I mean, it, sometimes you think some of these teams are far and away ahead of others, but really it's just a you know one or two players or one or two things like – Bont and Pelly kept being kept quiet for a few weeks that can make the difference and bring them back to the pack. Yeah. There was an interesting stat going around. I don't remember the exact numbers, but essentially if you could force the Bulldogs to have to kick it out of stoppage instead of uh, handballing it, instead of winning like 80 or 90% of the games, it was about a 50-50. So that sort of seemed to be part of the key to it, just slowing them down enough or curtailing them enough through the middle to actually put enough pressure on them to actually slow them down a bit. And uh, 
yeah, I guess I've talked throughout the year about the fact that I don't think Bulldogs have been overly convincing when they've been put under immense pressure in different games. And uh, I'm not sure whether that's linked to their drop away now, but yeah, I don't think, I know I, I, I've never been quite as convinced by the Bulldogs as you, like I thought they would finish in the top four and, you know, push teams in the finals, but I never saw them as the definitive favorite. No, fair enough. Fair enough. I think, um, yeah, I think when they were up and running, I thought they probably played the best footy. Uh, the, maybe the, I think their best was probably unmatched. But uh, they played the prettiest footy, <laughs> and they definitely, and they definitely played the prettiest footy. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, it's it's really it's strange. I mean, yeah, it's another reason why I guess the AFL season's a marathon and not a sprint. Yeah, you got to peak at the right time. All right, let's keep going. So. We do have the uh, draw for the first week of the finals, which is a kind of a strange thing in itself with the fact that only two teams get knocked out, but that's okay. So what I've got here is a couple of different brackets to talk through. So I've named these uh, the head, so using the head, the upsets, and the fairy tale. So which one do you want first, Johnny? Uh, I think the head's probably the smart option. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go through the head. All right, so the top four... Uh, Playing in the qualifying finals, I've got Melbourne beating Brisbane uh, and Port getting the job done at home over Geelong. And then in the eliminations, I'm backing GWS to get over Sydney, who have got a couple of injury worries and do match up quite well against Sydney. And as I referenced earlier, I think Essendon can cause enough damage to worry the Bulldogs. And I'm just not taking the Bulldogs with their current form. So that's my first bracket there. First part of it, at least. Interesting, interesting. And so, uh, so you'd have Geelong, GWS in that semi. That'd be yeah. I don't know why. I just feel like that's an interesting semi. Yeah. So then week two, the semi-finals, Geelong, GWS, and Brisbane, Essendon. So yeah, I think that would be a really interesting game. Mm. I agree. They had that good battle at Kidinia Park, and they. Played that really interesting game against Geelong, didn't they? They didn't bomb it. They brought it in low. They were scoring really well out of stoppage. So that could be a really tricky game for Geelong. Yep. yep. No, I think that'd I th- be really good. I, th- I think whoever loses that first, that qualifying final between Port and Geelong is going to have a bit of a hard time against either GWS or Sydney. That, that's going to be a tough game. Yep. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think that's a, yeah, that's a doozy. So even my bracket, though, I am still backing Geelong to get the job done there. So Geelong beating GWS and Brisbane beating Essendon in those semifinals. So that brings us to the prelims, which would be Melbourne versus Geelong and Port Adelaide versus Brisbane. Mm. Wow. <laughs> it's just uh, um, definitely not the two, te- <laughs> like the two prelims I would have expected at the start of the year, but... Yeah, I will, you know, definitely Port and Brisbane to feature. Uh, but yeah, that'll be something different. Yeah, it's a kind of a funny looking ladder. Like if you showed someone the ladder this year who hadn't watched football for five years, they'd be like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, there's a whole bunch of different things going on. Like there's still the perennials a bit, but yeah, it, is, it has yeah. been it has been turned upside down a little bit. No West Coast, they're usually there. No That's, Hawthorne, yeah. no Richmond. So it does look a bit different. Oh, for sure. 
All right, so I've got Melbourne doing the job against Geelong and then Port getting the job done at home against Brisbane. And then we go over to WA, Optus Stadium, for the grand final, Melbourne versus Port. Wow. So Melbourne versus Port is the head choice. Mm. That's the head choice, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And no bias at all. Of course, I've got Melbourne getting the job done in the grand final. Yes. <laughs> I feel yes. like that's a pretty good matchup for Melbourne against Port Adelaide. And they showed that they could get the job done in Adelaide against them as well. And I wasn't like halfway through that Melbourne game. I was thinking, yeah, no, we're probably going to Adelaide to play Port in the first week. Yeah, I wasn't like you don't want to play against a uh, an interstate team at their own home ground in the finals. Mm. But I wouldn't have minded that matchup either, really. I was actually exactly the same. Uh, I had, we'll get to this later on, but um, yeah, I I had also accepted fate at halftime, <laughs> and, and I'd mentally prepared for Port, honestly. Yeah. And I didn't. I kind of thought it wasn't the worst thing in the world, and if we could yeah. get over Port, it's kind be of hardened. Yeah. Philosophical question: Would you prefer your tougher game in the prelim or the grand final? Looking so, looking at this draw for Melbourne, potentially Geelong in the prelim. Port in the grand final. Like you could argue that the prelim is the tougher game there. So as a team, would you prefer to get your tougher opponent in the prelim or the grand final? Oh wow. Um I think you'd rather it in the prelim. Uh having said that, I think the grand final will be tough either way. But I think, yeah, if you can um if you can break some kind of psychological barrier in the prelim, that seems to be a key indicator of Winning on the big day. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I would rather have your tougher assignment in the prelim. Yeah. And then you can just roll into the grand final and uh, steamroll or get the job done. However you got to do it. Yeah, you, you just, just got to get hardened. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that was the head. What so, do we want to go next? We want to go upset or fairy tale? Uh, I think we'll go upset and finish with the fairy tale. I think the fairy right. tale is nice to go last. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right, so the first uh, part, the first week of the finals is pretty obvious because it's basically just the reverse of everything I just did. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got Brisbane beating Melbourne, Geelong beating Port, Sydney beating GWS, and the Bulldogs beating Essendon. So that brings us through to the semi-final weekend where Melbourne has to play Sydney and Port has to play the Bulldogs. Wow. I do not want to play Sydney in the semi. <laughs> There's some pretty stacked matchups there. So that, that'd be an interesting week, but hopefully we can avoid that. Yes. Um, so there I've got, I've still got Melbourne winning that and I've yep. got Port winning. Uh, so they go through to the the prelims, but now, so Mel, this, the matchup for Melbourne's the same here. They still have to play Geelong mm. and uh, Brisbane still has to play Port. So nothing really changes. Well, that, except, that's interesting, yeah. Except Port. Now has to fly to Brisbane because they are hosting. That, That's the only difference. That does change things. That does change things. And so, we know that Port do tend to, apart from last week, they can struggle a bit away from home. Yeah. So then I've got Brisbane getting through that and Geelong also. So a Brisbane-Geelong grand final, and I'd be backing Geelong in that scenario. That wouldn't be the worst grand final. Um, I don't think it would. I think last time was a bit of an anomaly when Brisbane smashed them, I think it'll definitely be a lot closer. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'd watch that. I'd hope so. It's a grand final. Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> well, you see, if we lose 
to Geelong in the prelim, I might uh, want to be in a dark room for several weeks. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> but no, right. that'll be a good game. That'll be a good game. So that's the upsets, I guess. Yeah, the main tipping point is there: Brisbane getting the uh, home prelim instead of Port, and then uh, Geelong beating Melbourne in that one as well to get through. Wow. All right, fairy tale. Fairy tale. Do you have a prediction of who my grand final winner is going to be in the fairy tale before I go through this? Uh, a prediction of the fairy tale winner. Um, I think. I think the fairy tale winner will come from one of the Sydney teams, but I can't right. think of which one. That's fine. I'll give you that. All right. So I'll go let's with go Sydney. Th- I'll, I'll go with Sydney. All right. Let's go through it. So in the fairy tale, we have. Melbourne beating Brisbane, Port beating Geelong, GWS beating Sydney. So there goes Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Essendon beating the Bulldogs. So same as my head to start with. Nice. But this is where things change up in the semis. Now Essendon finds a way to get over Brisbane and GWS wow. finds a way over Geelong as well. So we've got both the uh, bottom half of the eight teams coming into the prelims. So we've got... Melbourne versus GWS and Port versus Essendon. Gee whiz. <laughs> so that sets. <laughs> I've then got GWS beating Melbourne and Port Adelaide getting the job done at home against Essendon to set up a GWS Port grand final. <laughs> wow. Jeez. Imagine that. Wow. GWS and Port. <sighs> um, again, wouldn't be the worst grand final. Uh, because they do seem to match up well on each other. But, um, <laughs> wow, GWS run the table. That's that's incredible. And, of course, it's the fairy tale. So, I've got GWS breaking through for their first premiership. It would be very similar to two years ago, only they win the grand final. Basically, yeah. I think this would be a much better matchup for them than the Tigers. I agree. On that day. I agree. So, Definitely. if they can get through to that grand final, I'd give them a good chance against... Most teams, but especially Port. I think you'd have to. Um, just because they've, they've proven that they can rise to the occasion when it counts in some of the games later this year. And, um, yeah, they've just got some ball users in that in that team that I, I would definitely want the ball in their hands in those big games. So, yeah, that was a little bit of fun just going through some of those. It only takes one result or upset in the finals to basically throw everything on its head, especially if it comes in that in those qualifying finals. Everything sort of just gets thrown out the window. So it does I guess come those, from that week, yeah. Yeah, those are probably the most important ones to set up what happens in the rest of the final series. So that'll be really interesting games. I guess it seems like they're not that important because you're not getting knocked out, but it kind of does frame the whole final series who yeah. wins those games. No, it's definitely the catalyst for the series. And um yeah, <laughs> it, we got a taste of that, I thought, in this round, with starting from Friday night when Port uh, got over the Bulldogs, and I think this week will be very similar. Absolutely. All right, next thing I want to talk about just briefly is the configuration of the finals. So in this first week, currently, we have first playing fourth, second playing third, fifth playing eighth, and sixth playing seventh. So I'm just wondering, is the number one seed getting the most advantage in this setup so philosophically would you rather as the one seed want to play the fourth seed if everything went according to seedings would you want to play the fourth seed in your qualifying final or in your prelim final 
is it not more advantageous to play the lower ranked team to get through to the grand final? Yeah, no, I see what you mean. Um, yeah, it's funny when they brought this final system in. I remember that was, yeah, it, it, that was the the aim was to give the first and the second, I guess, the best chance of making it to a grand final. But that is a good question. I mean, do yeah, do you want to play them in that first week or do you want to play them in the prelim? It really, yeah, it's a tough, real tough one because. Sometimes there can be a big difference between third and fourth. Sometimes there isn't. Although I think we've noticed uh, in recent years that uh, the fourth team usually... What was that thing? The fourth team usually doesn't make it to the grand final? Or Yeah, there's yeah. very few fourth teams making it to the grand final. And I don't think any... Like, if you look at the history of the AFL, I think only... Fourth is only won like four or five times. So it's it's a bit of a graveyard position, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um. What happened last year again? Ge- Geelong were fourth, weren't they? Was that that was probably the Geelong first time? Geelong were fourth. Yes, Geelong were fourth. They um, went over to Port, yeah, and lost. That was, I think, that was the first time in a in a very long time. But yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, I think it, yeah, it would make sense. It would make sense actually. Yeah, and maybe I was just wondering also like. Could this partially explain why so many second or third place teams have actually won the premiership in the last ten years? So eight of the last ten have come from there. If they're winning, if one of those teams is winning the first qualifying final, then all they have to do is probably beat fourth or you know someone who's come up from the bottom half of the eight to actually get into the grand final. I think that's a huge advantage. Yep, I think it is. No, I definitely agree. I think uh, that, yeah, if you get past that second versus third game, yeah. You take on, you likely take on the fourth team in the prelim, and yeah, you can think of countless times where that's happened. I think, um, I think Melbourne even did that in the first year that uh, they had this system. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, it is interesting. I yeah. So, so what would you think? Maybe first versus third, second versus fourth, or first versus yeah, second. Yeah, I, th- I think that would yeah. be a fairer system. Like, I guess. They're not going to bring something like this in, probably. This has been so entrenched. But, you know, if you went to all the teams and asked, would you prefer, as the number one ranked team, would, which is the bigger advantage that you see? Do you want to play fourth in the prelim, according to the seedings, or do you want to have them in the first week? I think most teams would say, I'd rather play them in the prelim and back themselves to beat that third team in that first week. I agree. Uh, I think that's definitely the case. Be interesting to see if it ever happens, but... uh. Yeah, I guess, because you asked the other week, you know, is there a problem finishing first? And maybe there is a bit of a problem. Maybe. Like, I'm not I'm not saying, um, you know, Melbourne has a problem because they're in first, but, you know, if they do win their first final, then they probably, well, in one of the likely opponents is Geelong in that prelim, which is no, by no means an easy game. Whereas no. Port, if it went according to the seedings, would get the team Melbourne beats, Brisbane which on paper is probably an easier opponent. I think you're right. No, I think you're right for sure. Cool. Well, let's see how it plays out. This is one where I'm kind of hoping I'm wrong because yeah, it's, it's not going to help Melbourne if I'm right here. No, it's it's kind of scary, but that's all right. <laughs> see how it goes. All right. So we did a halfway or it might have been like a round seven All-Australian team, didn't we? That was... Yep. And right. uh, we've reached the end of the season, which is... I think the actual Australian team's being released on Thursday night and 
plenty of interesting selections, but the footy time public is interested in your team, Johnny. Yes. That's the team that everyone really wants to make. <laughs> that is 100% correct. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yes, so, yeah, we did do the uh, All-Australian team. Well, And just to quickly recap that team, it was, sorry, it was actually after round eight, uh, just quickly going across it. So we had backline, Bailey Dale, Stephen May, Jacob Wiedering, half back line, Daniel Rich, Aaliyah Aaliyah, Jack Bowers, centerline, Hugh McCluggage, Jack McRae, Ed Langdon, half forward line, Christian Petrarca, Harry Mackay, Sam Walsh, forward line, Toby Green, Taylor Walker, Ben King, followers, uh, Ruckman, Max Gorn, Ruck Rover, Clayton Oliver, Rover, Ollie Wines, Interchange, Marcus Pontepelli, Travis Boak, Zach Merritt, and Jack Steele. This team's actually not that much different, in all honesty. So, starting from the back line, we've got Tom Stewart, Geelong, Stephen May, Melbourne, Jake Lever, Melbourne, half back line, Daniel Rich, Brisbane, Jacob Wiedering, Carlton, and Bailey Dale, Bulldogs. Um, yeah, not much change there. I think there was, I think. You could make a case for guys like Aaliyah and Harris Andrews, definitely. Uh, but I think I don't think Stephen May... I, I think Jake Lever's definitely a lock, but I don't yeah, think absolutely. Stephen May has done enough to lose his spot either. So yeah, I've yeah. stuck with May. Yeah, I think that all makes a lot of sense. I think it'll be pretty close to the actual All-Australian team. And great to see that Lever earns that first All-Australian Guernsey, at least in your eyes. Absolutely. And... Yeah, he's really mastered his craft, and that's been one of the best things to see this year and a huge, huge component of Melbourne's success. Most intercept possessions ever by a player in a season, right? I'm pretty sure he's got there. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think that's right, yeah. I have to double-check that, but I think that he's correct. We'll go with it. He only needed a couple on the weekend, so I'm pretty sure he did. I think he did. He, he had another great game. <laughs> he definitely did. Uh, so now we move to the midfield. Uh We've got, we'll start with the center line. We've got Sam Walsh has now moved to the wing. Clayton Oliver in the center. And on the other wing, I really had a bit of trouble with this, but I've decided to go for Zach Merritt. Okay. And Ruckman is dun, da, da, Max Gorn. No surprise there. <laughs> <laughs> Ruck Rover, Marcus Bontempelli, Rover, Ollie Wines. Uh, I did pause for a bit of dramatic effect there because there is a little bit of competition amongst some of the media between Nick Nat and Max, but uh, I had to stick with Max. Yeah, I think you got to, especially you've just put the cherry on top with the second half against Geelong. You could yep. not, not pick him after that. He absolutely dominated, especially in that last quarter. He certainly did. Certainly did. And yeah, that was a game for the ages. I think he had... Oh, I think he had 25 possessions. I reckon he had 10-plus clearances. Oh, it was just incredible. He sort of mastered that taking it out of the ruck and even just being an option when the ball hits the ground in the middle. Like He's often the guy actually kicking it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's doing his own roving and, yeah, he's just unstoppable when he's up and running like that. So now we move to the forward line and we start with the half-forwards. Jake Stringer makes it into the team. Great to see you there. Isn't it? Uh, We've got Tom Hawkins, Geelong. It's in our forward. And Christian Petrarca, Melbourne. Our forward flank. Then 
full forward line. Toby Green, Giants, Harry Mackay, Blues, and Buddy Franklin makes it in from the Swans. That's an interesting one. Maybe I haven't seen enough Swans games this year, but a lot of the games I've seen him in, he's been pretty quiet. Has he yeah. come? He's come on a bit in the second half of the season. Maybe? I think yeah, second half of the season, he's definitely. I think he's at about forty-eight goals for the year, so he's about level with Taylor Walker. Yeah. And um, yeah, he's definitely come home with a wet sail, I think, and needed another tall forward. So I've gone with Buddy. <laughs> Why not, uh, Buddy? Yeah, I think exactly. if if he does get the nod, it'll be his ninth All Australian, and that's the most ever. I think he's currently tied on eighth with I'm not sure who, maybe Gary Ablett Jr. But, uh, I think it is Gary Ablett, yes. Yeah. Yes. So uh, that'll be interesting to see whether he does get the nod. Probably his last chance. It will be. It, yeah. Really. Well, who knows? Like, if his body holds up next year, who's to say he couldn't have another similar year? But yeah, he's played a decent number of games this year, which is good. He has. He has. And yes. So now we move to the interchange bench. And I've got Jack Steele from the Saints. Jack McRae from the Dogs. Darcy Parrish from the Bombers. And in the fourth interchange spot, I have Nick Natanui. Uh, you buckled for the second ruck. I did. <laughs> I did. Um, and I did because I think that that's been pretty symbolic of how the game's been played this year. I think you kind of need the second ruck. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's it, it's a big load, I think, for one um, all game and we've seen how Max has benefited from this year with uh, Luke Jackson stepping up uh, yeah absolutely some of Nick Nat's numbers really when you look at them it's just it it's insane it's insane and um, I'll get them up right now actually because they have to be seen to be believed he had an amazing game on the weekend against Brisbane I he guess did. you know everything was on the line for the Eagles and Probably one of his best games for the season. His follow-up work, which is normally not fantastic, was at no. a really high level. So great Absolutely. to see him be able to play a game like that. Absolutely. So uh, in terms of AFL player ratings, he's ranked first. Contested possessions out of Ruckman, he's ranked first. Sorry, I should have said this is in the, in the Rucks. Uh, out of cl- clearances, he's first. Center clearances first. Hit outs to advantage first. And score involvement second. So it's not bad. It's not bad. And, wow. uh, Most of those score involvements, I'm guessing, come from taps rather than possessions, but still oh, fantastic. Doubt. Without a doubt, yes. Um, <laughs> I think there is definitely one area that Max has definitely dwarfed him in, and it's contested marks. And I think that's been really important in Melbourne's game this year. So yeah, that's another reason why I give Max the nod. But uh, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to ignore Nick Nat's season. It's been pretty impressive, especially with half his midfield missing for most of it. Yeah, absolutely. So, who was the hardest player for you to leave out then? Ah, yes, yes. There were many, many hard players, uh, hard done by players. I actually really liked uh, the way Paul Seedsman finished his year. Uh, thought he he was very, very close, but I couldn't quite justify it. Took Miller absolutely could have made this team. And I thought Tom Papley's been a real big reason why Sydney <laughs> are where they are. So, those would be the three. Uh, I really wanted to put... Uh, Hugh McCluggage in there as well, but I think he's he just had a bit of a quieter second half of the year, yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially when they were, were their form dipped a bit. So I really like him, but he'll have plenty of years, I think, in the All Australian team. So yeah, yeah. No, I think I think you've done really well here, Johnny. Oh, I geez. like the look of your team, and uh, hopefully the actual Australian team is similar to yours, and they don't 
have too many like weird picks. They <laughs> generally have like one or two really weird picks, but yeah. I think it's fair to assume there'll be one at least. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it's a good one. And look, Captain, I I was tossing up this uh, very, very close, but uh, I, I think I might have to stick with Max for this. I was, I was very, very close <laughs> to giving it to Marcus Pontempelli, but I think Max is probably fair. And sorry, obviously, coaches Simon Goodwin. Yes, yes, absolutely. Bringing the Demons from ninth place up to the top of the ladder. So congratulations to Simon there. Yes. Many wanted his head, but uh, <laughs> going to have to wait even longer for that. We don't, maybe people don't want it anymore, but, you know, no, everyone gets chopped eventually, don't they? So, uh, Of course, but he's done an amazing job. He's done really well. And, yeah, I think they've done well to surround him with the support he needs. So, uh, yes, for sure. yeah, absolutely. All right, we've made it. Match of the round. And one of the more remarkable games I think we've seen this season in a lot of ways. Melbourne Geelong, down the highway, Cadinia Park. Not a happy hunting ground for away teams. Probably 80% of the reason why Geelong is generally in the top four. They don't lose games at Cadinia Park, at least not many in a season. So, yeah, it was a big one. The winner was going to claim the minor premiership and the loser had to travel to Adelaide to face Port. And, uh, yeah, what were you thinking going into the game, Johnny? Yeah, I think my attitude definitely changed after the result from the night before. Yeah. Um, when uh, I honestly thought Bulldogs would just get the job done and, and I wasn't really thinking too much about this game. I was really just hoping we'd go down there, give it a good crack, just whatever you do, don't get any injuries. Uh, I was, for about, a, I think for about the last month, I've been expecting to lose this game. And I just, yeah, I thought. You can never count on winning there. So no, yeah, I understand no. that. Like when we were doing all our calculations, you would never put that down as no. one that they were going to win. No. And I just thought, look, it's all, that's okay. I mean, and it's also, and this is, it might be a stupid attitude there, but it's also maybe the last chance we can, you know, afford to lose one before the business yeah, ends of the season. Yeah. But uh that changed considerably, I think, when um, Port got over the line on Friday, and I still tried to stay calm, but obviously it did become more so about winning. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of similar. I wasn't thinking much about the game at all. Mm. Um, I was more concerned about um, yeah, what would happen the next week, obviously, and just it all hinged on that Bulldogs-Port game, as you'd referenced. If... Bulldogs had won that. I think this game would have been a lot less interesting. They might yeah. not have been going at it each other as hard because they would have been locked into first and second anyway. Um, so it would have been much of a muchness who finished where. But uh, yeah, I guess the fact that Port won that, it really made this into a game that both teams wanted to go at 100% and not only for the result, but you know, to get one up on a likely finals opponent at some point. Yep, absolutely. Good psychological boost. All right, let's get into the breakdown so it was actually melbourne who got the better start really dominating the clearances in the first quarter they just couldn't quite break through the geelong wall they did put a couple of goals on but missed some very gettable chances and i remember one particular play i can't remember who kicked it in but basically just a little dink kick towards tom mcdonald and he could have taken it on the chest and somehow he managed to spill the mark and i just remember thinking you can't drop marks like that against geelong yeah Hundred percent, hundred percent. You got to take every chance, and uh, yeah, yeah. It was um a tough night ahead for T Mac. 
So Geelong, for their part, was slow and methodical. And although they didn't have a huge amount of the ball in the first quarter, they made it count when they did with from their limited opportunities, including a beautiful spot-up kick from Hawkins after the ball hit the ground to Dalhouse, who slotted the set shot. He's one of the best assist players going around, and it was on full display here. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, yeah, and it was it was definitely causing problems. Seemed like neither team had kind of got 100% going in this quarter, though. They're almost filling each other out a little bit. Yeah. The pressure probably wasn't overly high. Like, it was high, but, you know, not elite pressure. Yeah. And after all that added up, it was Melbourne in the lead by two points. But really, I had a bit of a concern because it did seem like Melbourne had had sort of their go with the momentum and really hadn't catalyzed. And I did expect the Cats to have their turn at some point. I did feel like they were feeling each other out. It was they were sparring, I think, and um, yeah, yeah, a couple of chances. I think we definitely uh, missed a couple of early ones, uh, and yeah, um, I was definitely concerned going into that second quarter. Absolutely. So it was actually Melbourne who found the first goal of the second quarter, thanks to Viney's check side from general play. Beautiful goal that oh, one. Beauty. But slowly the game began to turn in Geelong's favour. For the next 10 minutes, it seemed like Geelong was getting every free kick that was even 25% there. I'm not one to complain about free kicks, but I think this game was just over-umpired. Oh, I, really, I really hope that an umpire like this in the finals. It was just every little ticky touch yeah. was being paid, especially for Geelong. It was quite annoying. <laughs> no, I totally agree. Over-umpired. Um, there's a really, really big... Uh, emphasis on the dangerous tackle at the moment, I find. And it's happening to the point where I think the commentators are focusing on it too much as well. I just think... Um, I'm not sure what you think, Dan, but I just feel like um, at the expense of a good tackle now, we're more worried about how hurt the player got. I mean, you're going to have good tackles where players hit the ground hard as well. I, yeah. I, yeah. I- I'm not that worried about those ones. I'm more it's more the ones that are just so ticky touch, like the tiniest bit of contact higher in the back. Like the tiniest chopper bombs or something. The tiniest contact of any kind. They're blowing the whistle. Yeah, it's not exactly. A, it, it really doesn't need to be a free kick. Half the time the player doesn't even know why they've got the free kick. They should That's tell true. you that you probably shouldn't be paying it. Yeah, no, you're right. It's that moment that you kind of wish they'd hold their nerve a bit, but uh yeah. yeah, no, they were very trigger happy. Hopefully, it's a little bit different in the finals. Might be a little bit too much to hope for, but we'll see. Uh, so, so, this led to goals to Cameron and Hawkins, and this gave the Cats a narrow lead. But after the next Hawkins goal, it started to become a procession. They were just walking it straight out of the center bounce again and again. It happened three times in a row. So, in under three minutes, they'd piled on another three goals. And when Cameron was able to soccer off the ground right on the goal line, Geelong had slammed on eight goals in a row to to extend their lead to 39 points. It all happened in about 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, it was 10 minutes of madness. Um, yeah, I, I still don't know what happened in that second quarter because I think at the start of the second quarter, our pressure was still relatively good. Yeah. But, yeah... There was a few, a few defensive errors. They got uh, jumpy. Like yeah. for some, I don't know what it was, but they just looked a little bit panicky, which they haven't really looked all year. 
they yeah they sort of flinched a bit um and they were sticking to their system but this was a really good example of what we talk about a lot and having the extra man back giving another team the other team an advantage at those center clearances uh geelong were just they were loving that they were absolutely loving it and um they were getting you know have with geelong having the ball in an advanced position it wasn't working it, like what the thing that has worked so much for us all year just wasn't working at all yeah i think they they did correct it a bit in the second half that to and set up what a bit they did. defensively at the stoppage and but so at least they were able to correct it but geez they conceded a lot of points so yeah. hopefully if they have to play them again they'll uh they'll know they need to set up slightly differently here. Yeah. One thing I heard on one of the footy shows, which I found really interesting, I think it was David King. He was talking about how their best forwards, I guess, you know, like Cameron Hawkins, they'll often get like right up the wing Mm. just to basically take the best defenders that far out and open up the space. And then like, if you can, if they can get it quickly from the wing into the forward line, it's just super open. And it did happen a few times throughout the night. So I think that's quite a point of difference for Geelong that not a lot of other teams do, like drawing their best players completely out of the forward line to actually just open up all that space. And that's the best way to play someone like Jake Lever is to make him accountable, make him like drag him out and make him play one on one. Yeah, and that's that's the that's the real beauty of this system or this strategy is you're actually taking lever and may away from the dangerous space and they have to go there because if they don't then you know cameron or hawkins is actually gonna you know they're gonna impact anyway so you're taking them out and basically making the somewhat lesser melbourne defenders have to get the job done further back so it's kind of a genius strategy when it it works they did very well to get the game on their terms I guess the reverse of that is if Melbourne can actually hold up at that wing position, which they did kind of in the last quarter, and turn it over at that point, then Melbourne is in a really good chat, has a really good chance to go back the other way and score. But yeah, it's they have such different game styles these two teams. Oh, polar opposites. Um, I think Melbourne. David King mentioned that, didn't he? He said uh, Geelong have the lowest turnovers and um, intercepts, and Melbourne have the highest of both. Yeah, absolutely. So. Definitely different game styles going on here. and The styles make fights, as they say. <laughs> they really do. So, yeah, styles make it's games. Just, it's almost crazy how slow Geelong go sometimes, but I don't know. Yeah. It just, it just seems, they just seem to have these little patches in games where they can score, and that's yeah. usually enough. Yeah, yeah. It's like, um, yeah, it's like they only play for 60% of the time and the rest is just management, yeah. So, yeah, I guess, yeah, I've been a little bit down on Geelong throughout the year <laughs> for their game style, but, you know, it works. And, it like, works. they they do have um, these points of difference that can make it really hard for you. But I always feel like it's almost like what we were talking about a long time ago like in an earlier episode where if you're just always the one defending or if that's, like, if you're if the only thing in your mind is to defend, you're basically inviting the opposition to attack. Hmm. So yeah. if you... If you, if your game plan is so much entrenched in defense, to that point, I think you are vulnerable, and that's what can happen to Geelong sometimes. Even 
a game that it seems like they're in control, they don't actually land that knockout punch or get enough distance because yeah. they're so slow and methodical. And then when the opposition gets a run on, then you can actually be vulnerable. And I guess that's probably one of the more common ways they lose games because, yeah. Yeah. Well, we saw later on um, how that was, how that worked out because that's exactly what they did. But we'll get to yeah. that. Yeah. Like, just from a philosophical point of view, like, do you think the way Geelong is playing is the right way for them to play? Like, I know they're they're a bit older and, you know, they're trying to play to their strengths, mm. but do they really need to be as rigid as they are? And, like, I don't know, I feel like it's gone to another level this year even compared to what it was last year. Yeah, I think there's definitely times when it's gone to another level. Um yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think they need to quite do it as much as they do, and especially how much they did on on Saturday. Like I've said, I like how they the games where they can do that in patches, but then they do speed it up at times because they are capable of scoring. But um, yeah, I I think they, I yeah, I would tweak it a little bit because, yeah, I don't think that I don't think the way they approach that will win them a grand final. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so maybe it's just a bit more of the balance because they can go when they want to, but absolutely, it's just to like how far do you push up the dial? Maybe, yeah, it seems it, like it just needs to be edged up a little bit further. It's, I mean, it's it's easy to, I guess it's easy in theory. It is a balancing act, isn't it? But yeah, like they're tr- the number one thing they're trying to do, which we haven't mentioned, is they're trying to limit. Well, you kind of did. They're trying to limit scores off turnover. They've yep. identified that most scores come off turnover. If we go slow and methodical and set up behind the ball, you can't score against us on turnover. Yeah, I think Melbourne only got five goals from turnover for the whole game. So I think it that's meant right, that yeah. they had to get a lot of goals from stoppage and stoppage. back half transition and clearances. Yeah, it does make it hard to beat them. But you know, like we were saying, if you can get a roll on then it doesn't always work, I suppose. And nothing always works, but... No. Yeah. No, but, um, yeah, look, and it might be a bit harsh, but, um, yeah, there are... It, it does it does kind of ruin your mentality in key moments sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I guess it's kind of hard to put yourself into the mind of a Geelong supporter, but I think if, if Melbourne played the way Geelong are, uh, it would actually really frustrate me. I think I would almost hate it, <laughs> no matter how good they are. Like it, it. I know we talked about this in an earlier episode, and Geelong supporters probably hate me by now. But it's so robotic. Like they're not robots. Do they really have to play like robots? I don't know. That, like you'd like to see a, a bit more personality in their game style and uh, yeah, expressing themselves. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, like they've got they've got so many good players, yeah, and like yeah. they can play different ways. We've seen that over the, the weeks, but. It just seems to be getting to this level where, I don't know, it just, it almost takes, sucks the joy out of the game to me. And like, uh, I don't it, know. It is getting to a, a bit of an extreme level, I think, yeah. Uh, and I do like, I do like facets of this in their style. I think it's, it, it's always, I, I do like a team that can keep possession, I guess, but um, like hang on to possession. But, you, you know, how far do you go? How far do you go? It's, yeah, you got to do, you got to play to your strengths, but uh, you've got to. You don't want to hurt. You. I, I, I come back to the mentality. You don't want to hurt your mentality doing so. Yeah, you got to score to win. And yeah, you got to score they to can, win. exactly. They can score, but I think they're just leaving themselves vulnerable by choose, picking and choosing when 
they sort of ramp it up a little bit. Anyway, yeah. Geelong ran over. They're up by 39 points. So what they're doing can't be that terrible. No, even though uh, gone into a few things there. All right. So third quarter. So at this point, I was pretty much in self-preservation mode, just thinking, oh, okay, we got next week. Make sure you don't get any injuries. I really wasn't expecting much. Was that sort of where you're at? Uh, pretty much 100%. I was... At halftime, I had seriously thought, this one's done. I don't actually want to know about it anymore. If there was a mercy rule right now, I would have said, let's get them off. Like, <laughs> I, I honestly would have. I, I actually convinced myself that Port was probably the way to go next week. And, um, yeah, I, I just um, – I, I almost didn't – any thought of a comeback, I was kind of like, nah, I don't really like that. That might take too much energy. We might get injuries. Uh, my, all I really wanted in that second half – I decided was to just to win the half, win win the if you could win the third quarter, win the fourth quarter, so we don't get completely embarrassed. Yeah, that was fine for me. That would have been enough. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's see what happens next. So when Hawkins kicked his fourth goal in the third, uh, it was a game high forty four points. So that was his fourth goal overall. Melbourne's pressure did seem to have lifted in the third quarter though, and goals to Oliver and Pickett gave them the faintest flicker of hope. And to finish the quarter, it was a set-shot goal to Ben Brown to get the margin back to 32. But even nice still... Sorry. <laughs> nice mark on his knees. Nice mark? Yeah. Yep. So even still, in over 200 games where Geelong has led by five or more goals at Cadinia Park, they had actually never lost. So even though it had been brought back slightly, it still looked every bit a game-winning lead. So the stat was when they lead by five goals or more at three-quarter time, they're undefeated. Yes, undefeated uh, at the wow. ground. <laughs> Gee whiz. <laughs> wow. So first for everything, I suppose, but yeah, huge assignment facing Melbourne. They needed everything to go right in the last quarter and they had a fortuitous start. Nice centre clearance, Max down to Petrarca and his kick went off the side of the boot, but it fell absolutely perfectly for Pickett, who just had enough space away from his opponent. And the 40-metre set shot was online and absolutely pure. So I think Pickett might have improved his set shots a little bit. It's looking looking a bit better. He definitely had a much freer motion, I think, with these ones. Um, yeah. No, he looked a lot more relaxed as well. Uh, he was. I really liked Cosy's game, actually. So it was the perfect start for Melbourne. And they were getting some really good stoppage dominance early in this quarter and just possession dominance as well. And they managed to get it quite deep inside 50 to set up a stoppage. And after flicking it around, Langdon received at about the 50-meter line and put a long ball in to about 15 meters out. And off the hands of the pack, Spargo was in exactly the right spot, snap over the shoulder, through the goals, and uh, just had a bit of an inkling that something might be happening. He just he just reacted that little bit quicker than everyone else, didn't he? You could sort of see him at the back of the goal square. He just got ahead of, I think it was Henry. And yeah, it's that split second that it makes a difference. He's a natural footballer, isn't he, Spargo? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, football brain. Well, was this the one where he kicked it off the ground? Yes. There was one, it was the one where he kicked off the ground. Got that a little bit mixed up. But uh, yeah, he definitely knows where to get to once the ball hits the ground. So after a good contest from Brown about 40 metres out, 
Again, the ball went out the back. Putting on great pressure at ground level, Melbourne eventually got it to fall to Oliver, who snapped it through with a high wobbler, and the celebrations were in full swing. Yeah. It was all happening in such a rush. It was oh, quite amazing. Uh, that was definitely the goal where you, I, I felt yeah, there might actually be a bit of a comeback on here. Because, um, yeah, up until that point, I was just very – every goal was a bonus. I just thought, yeah, like I said, just win the last quarter. Uh, and that'll at least – you know, we won't be embarrassed. We'll go into next week. The media won't give us too much crap. Uh, yeah, all, all that stuff. But this goal, you could they got around him. Absolutely. So there were only 13 points down now, mm. and there'd yeah. only been about five minutes played. Like, this was happening <laughs> at insane. breakneck speed. It was quite amazing. Insane. So they'd now kicked the last five goals of the game, and as I said, 15 minutes left on the clock. They were absolutely dominating the clearances, largely thanks to Max Gordon and Oliver, who were absolute beasts in this last quarter. And the next centre clearance uh, actually led to a mark to Sparrow, roughly 60 metres out from goal, Great mark overhead there for his size. Very good mark. And his kick went long and high to 15 metres out. T-Mac rose up high, getting the hands up to the highest point. Probably should have clunked it, but it mm. was a predictable spot. And who was in the exact right spot? Of course, it had to be Spargo. Yep. And this is the one where he does crumb it perfectly and snaps over the right shoulder and cue the shiver down the spine. Oh, yeah. The margin was back to seven points. Very nice snap, that one. Uh, and, yeah, single figures. <laughs> so there was still a really long time in the quarter left. Mm. So it was, it was yeah, just happening in a rush. But it was actually Melbourne's back half transition now that was on full display. So they managed to switch the ball out onto the wing, and it was actually Pickett motoring along the wing, taking multiple bounces. And his kick was just long enough to get over the back of the Geelong opponent who Fritch edged under the ball. Might have been Henry. I'm not entirely sure. I think sure. it was Henry. But he got the perfect bounce running back onto the ball and controlled it well, running towards goal. And uh, with a low kick, went straight through the middle and just a two-point deficit now. So end-to-end goal there for Melbourne. Another really smart footballer, Bailey Fritch. I mean, like, it, 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 no, I know it's um, it's sometimes seen as not cheating, but just um, like the easy thing to do for a small. I'm not saying that Fritch is a small forward, but for those opportunistic forwards, I guess, to get out the back and you know run into open goals and that. But I think it takes a real bit of intelligence to know when to do that, and that's exactly what Bailey did. And, yeah, that was a massive goal. It's so easy to give away a free kick in that position. Yeah. There. Like, so many players get called for that. But he, he made just the right amount of contact and waited perfect. for the ball. It was perfect. Oh, and yeah. his, hair, his hair looked perfect as well as he <laughs> ran into goal. I think he's got one of those haircuts where you either love it or hate it. Yeah, I think yeah. most Melbourne supporters are a fan. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right. So, with all that, we're down to a two-point deficit. 9.39 left on the clock. And we've talked a lot about Melbourne. What, what was Geelong doing in this quarter? So despite despite being under a goal in front, when Geelong had the ball, they were defending for their lives. They were going slow. They did have one chance where it looked like they were out. And I think Cameron and... Was it Henderson collided? Yes. Yes, it was Cameron so, and Henderson. So, and... That was a bad miscommunication because I think they definitely would have scored from that. Yeah. Um, 
those are never good things in a close game. I, I can't. I've, I don't know if you remember this, Dan, but I think it was the 2002 season in a semi-final against Adelaide at the MCG when Adam Uzo and Russell Robertson collided. Uh, and yeah, we yeah. went on and lost that game. I, I've never forgotten that when something like this happens. Uh, and it was just bad communication. And yeah. I think that was, their, that was definitely their best chance to score yep. for this whole last quarter. They had a couple of, um, you know, just snaps from general play. I think one from Dalhouse probably should have gone through, but yeah, they really I didn't have that many that. chances. But There was an injury that lever marked here. When they had the ball, there was just didn't seem to be that much intent. Like, surely you got to win the game. Like, you can't defend two points for ten minutes. Well, they almost did, but it, can, exactly. can you really? Can that really be the mentality? No, I don't think it can. And this, as we were talking about before, I think this was probably the main. Uh, this is the case in point of why you can't. There, yeah, ten minutes left. That they were they were controlling it a bit, but. You know, it, it's a mentality thing. Once you get to that point and it's, yeah, 10 minutes, 9 minutes, 8 minutes, the fact is Melbourne's coming and Geelong, who's holding the ball, it's like just controlling. You're up by 44 points half an hour ago and you know, you're trying to save the game and and not going forward. And I just, yeah, it, they looked scared to me. They looked really, really scared. They weren't just in their shell. They were hiding behind the couch and it was I think a neutral fan would have seen that and they would have said if anyone if anyone's going to kick the next goal there's one goal left in the game it's going to be Melbourne's yeah they weren't going to kick it and they just yeah they just really didn't look likely if they if they'd kicked one goal at any point in that whole last quarter the game was over that's all they had to do is kicked one goal that's what everyone I know has been saying and I agree (laughs) Yeah, so yeah, one would have killed it. Yeah, yeah. It just seemed crazy that they couldn't just open up that little bit to try and get uh, get that one goal. Anyway, Melbourne had a couple of tricky set shots from uh, Brown and Sparrow, uh, which meant they were still two points down with forty seven seconds left on the clock. So for all our ranting there, it almost worked for Geelong. Like this did. whole the defensive thing, but like. You're giving the opposition so many chances when you're playing like this, I think. Too many chances. And it was one too many chance because from a stoppage, Gus seemed to kick it forward, uh, trying to get it into space, and inexplicably it was paid for insufficient intent. So pretty poor feel for the game there from the umpire. But, uh, you know, yeah, the, no. The, no surprise, really. No surprise, but really, <laughs> how do you come to that decision? I mean... There's 47 seconds left. We've got a bit of space. Why would we want to put it out of bounds? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So that first uh, free kick there sort of set up this incredible sequence of events that was to follow. So it was Cam Guthrie receiving the free kick. He chose to go long down the line. And we all know that Cadenia Park is a very narrow ground. And he put it just a little bit too close to the boundary line. And it floated over. And in doing so, close, the Geelong small forward, double-fisted it into the seats. It's the easiest call in the world for the umpire to make. Automatic 50-meter penalty. And they've been hard on it as well. Uh, the moment it crosses the line, you, yeah, there's no excuse. So, yeah. Cut and dry. <laughs> Cut like, and dry. A couple of people were saying you don't shouldn't pay that. But uh, you pay it every day of the week. Look, 
I do I do have a tiny bit of sympathy for the player in the heat of the moment who might be in I guess in beast mode and he's just gone oh just punch it make sure of it, but it's a fifty. Yeah, it's a fifty. Absolutely. So that brought Lever to the paint of fifty. He's not an overly long kick, nor is he a noted goal kicker. And at this point, I think there was about 15 seconds left on the clock, somewhere around that. So all the Geelong players looked to be setting up for uh, the long kick in. And uh, Max went and parked himself at about 17 metres out. And for some reason, Stanley had tracked back to the line. And uh, I guess Lever saw this. And in his approach, he popped up a little bit of a dink kick that took a fair bit off it and uh, was perfectly flighted for Max. His outstretched arms marked almost unopposed as the smaller Geelong opponent jumped towards him. Wow. What the heck just happened in that last 30 seconds? <laughs> Seriously, it was just wacky. That was wacky. Going back to the insufficient intent, it was just absolutely wacky. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where to start with that, but... Um, I think Lee, like that was such a smart kick from Lever. It's a beautiful think, kick, yeah. Yeah, uh, honestly, I think what was going through my head was, it, depending on where the fifty ends up, where they bring him to, he'll either, may, I, yeah, I never, I didn't really think he'd have a shot. I mean, he might have gone for the launch, but I definitely thought he'd go bombing it to the point of the goal square. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to have the poise to do that, and I know Max also signaled to. You know, put it there. Yeah, but yeah. just to have that poise to do the hit up kick, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really smart kick, and it was, it was really cool under pressure. I thought it was almost as cool as what happened next. <laughs> pressure, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, but um, so so much to go through there. Sorry, uh, also, that's fine. Um, I've seen this whole play about. Uh, I reckon I've seen this about twenty times now. Um, Reese Stanley, I, I don't know what he was thinking. He decided instantly he was going to go back to the goal line. As you do, I guess. I mean, you know, we how many times have we seen the ball clear it? Oh, why didn't you put your biggest guy on the goal line? He decided to do that, but he didn't need to in that moment. There was always going to be a chance to go back. I also saw, I've rewound this and watched it in slow motion so many times. There seems to be a bit where he passes Gary Rowan, and I feel like he's saying to him something. I, mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I feel like he's saying to him, I'll take the goal line. And with. He might not have said anything after that, but I'm I'm choosing to think that he said to him, "I'm taking the goal on you take Gorn," and then, <laughs> and then Rowan's like, "What?" <laughs> and like, then that, what happens next? Is, yeah, that's just me. Uh, that's just me. You know, coming up with some uh, some yeah, uh, yeah. Fa- Aesop's fables or whatever. But uh, yeah, uh, I don't know what happened there. Uh, a very um, a very uh, stern backline. Usually, they would yeah. But Max still might have marked it. Like it was a beautiful kick. He it was every chance he was going to mark it, even if Stanley was next to him. But the fact that he was nowhere near him, he still might have marked it. And if Max wasn't there, Rivers might have gotten it behind him. And Harms was also close by. I just I found that there was just all all of a sudden there were a few loose Melbourne players. I just wouldn't usually expect this from a Geelong backline. Yeah, absolutely. So the top the clock kicked ticked down as. uh, Gorn was lining up from roughly 17 metres out on maybe like a 20-degree angle. So prime hooking position, I would say. <laughs> He's got the hook to the few. right. We've but uh, he looked calm. The siren went, took another couple of seconds, ambled in. It was actually quite a nice ball drop, and it went 
beautifully straight and it almost split the middle. It was it was actually a really nice kick. It was a very good kick. Um, I totally agree. Uh, he was he was cool as he was cool as. As soon as he took that mark, he walked straight back. He knew what he had to do. Uh, he took just the right amount of time. I thought he was just on the point of maybe getting into that territory <laughs> where, oh, yeah. you're taking too long, you know. But no, nah, he he did that whole thing perfect, Max. And like I was exactly like you. I was zeroed in on that ball drop. And as soon as I saw that ball drop, I thought, yeah, that's pretty good. And um, yeah, the rest was history. So it's kind of fitting that it took such a crazy game for Melbourne to register their first minor premiership in 57 years, first since 1964. Obviously, it's not going to mean a hell of a lot if they can't get the job done in finals, but I think it does signify how far Melbourne has come and they have been the best team all year, whether people want to admit it or not. And uh, they're, they're most people's favourite for the flag now. That doesn't really mean a lot because, you know, plenty of favourites get beaten, but yep. they're in a great position. I think um, if you go through the season, they've proven that the best they've been the best team in the competition. I mean, look at the, uh, you know, the resume's not bad. It's not bad at all. And um, yeah, I think they're deservedly top of the ladder. So what what was your first thought when this happened when they won the game like this? Oh my goodness! Um, so I was pretty calm right up until that last kick. Honestly, even <laughs> when we were two points down, I still had that attitude of, "Look, we've done pretty well. All I wanted us to do was win these quarters." Yeah, uh, and and they've done that, and then some. If we do lose in a close one, it'll suck. It will hurt, but uh, you know I'll be proud of them, and and we can we can move on still. Um, I had not yelled once in the whole game and I reckon I blew out my voice box on the last kick of the game. <laughs> um, it was, oh, it was absolutely incredible. And, um, oh, geez, what, what was going through, what was going through our heads? Um, Melbourne's never won a game after the siren before. It's Max. He's had trouble with this in the past. Uh, you know, uh, I, I was even trying to convince Max telepathically. I was trying to say, look, it's, it's easy, Max. All you got to do is nice ball drop. You just got to kick through the ball. Uh, all sorts of crap then. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, it was awesome. And and to me, the fact that it was our first win after the siren, that's as impressive to me as the minor premiership thing. I, I just, <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. it, it is nice yeah. to have that on the record. It's kind of strange that Melbourne's never done it before, actually. Yeah, but no, very strange. What about you? What were your thoughts? Yeah, I really just, obviously, you know, overjoyed and full of possibilities, but just one sort of crystallizing thought popped into my head, just thinking, you know, tell me this isn't the best game in the world after witnessing something like that. Like, even for a neutral, surely, like, it's, for anyone who has any love for AFL, like, it's just got so many things that other sports just don't have as much of. It's yeah. just the the amount of that momentum can swing in this game and how quickly things can change. It's just an amazing game. There was a point, I think, maybe early in that third quarter where oh, I might have even had just this thought in my head, oh, this this could be a 100-point drubbing. Like, we could be really embarrassed. Does that ever happen to teams going into the top four? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Um, to go from that to what happened... There's no other sport where that happens. And yeah, it's... Yeah. No, it, the, the only thing that really... I mean, it, it's unique in a way, I guess. And, and maybe if there were fans, maybe 
Geelong would have hung on. But it would have been great if there was a crowd and see some Melbourne fans behind the goal, maybe. But uh, and it could have been us. But uh, yeah, look, <laughs> look, this is the cards we're dealt, and yeah, yeah. that's got to make the most of it's it. It's been great. It was great. It was fantastic. I, I think it does kind of dismiss the idea that you need a crowd to have a great game. That's that's oh, not the for case. Sure, for sure. You might you might want a crowd, but you don't need a crowd. I think We've kind a, of moved a, beyond a that. A crowd is great. Um, I definitely love a crowd, but you definitely don't need a crowd. Yeah, it's about so, those guys. So if uh, this entree to finals is anything like what we're going to see in the next month or so, I'm sure we're going to be spoilt for choice of what to talk about. <laughs> oh yeah, yep, yep. And, uh, All right. Yeah. Any <laughs> final thoughts on this game or anything coming up before we put a full stop? Um, just the, 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 you, there were so many narratives that come out of the, the way this game finished. I mean, you know, we lost that game three years ago when Zach Tui kicked the after the siren goal. So we've got them back with an after the siren win and come from behind. Like, um, you've got. Cam Guthrie, who I actually like, I really like him as a player, but, you know, he sort of razzed Max after he missed his shot that uh, a lot of people say that his shot was after the siren in round one, 2018. I don't think it was. I think it was with like 10 seconds left. Or yeah, something. there might've been a few seconds left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he got redemption there. And the fact that it was Guthrie taking that free kick to kick it out on the full, <laughs> you couldn't make this stuff up. No. I mean, it's just, um, yeah. That's it's, what I love about sport. Like there's no way someone writing a script of what's going to happen in a game could have come up with this. And I no. like you could you can say that about any game, but it's just magnified in a game like this where so many things unexpected are happening and you just don't quite know what's going to happen next. Oh, just everything's just ended up intertwined and yeah, beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well we'll leave it there. Thanks for jumping on the line, Johnny. No worries. Bring on the finals. Yes, we've been talking a lot about the finals. They're finally here. So I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about in our next episode. Thanks to you guys for listening as well. Hopefully you'll be able to tune into all the finals as we will be. And uh, if your team is in it, hopefully they can put up a good fight. Bye for now.